Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. All right. Thank you. Um, John chapter 11 is what we're looking at this morning. So if you have a Bible near you, go ahead and grab it. Um, John chapter 11, that's in the New Testament. The book of John is in the New Testament. The back half of your Bible, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, you get to John. We've been working through the book of John this year, and um, and we'll just continue on in that. And here's what we've seen over the last weeks as, as you're turning to John chapter 11. Over the last weeks in the book of John, we've seen this back and forth with Jesus and the Pharisees, back and forth where, where he's been conversing with the Pharisees or Jewish leaders or, or just Jews in general in the temple, this back and forth where Jesus is communicating over and over who he is, that he's the Christ, that he's the son of God, that, that, that he is God and that, that he and the father are one. And we've seen that and we've experienced that. And we, and at times we've felt that this back and forth, this, this conflict back and forth between Jesus and the religious leaders. And this morning we get to chapter 11. And in a lot of ways, what we get to see this morning is the heart of Jesus. We get to see the heart of Jesus. If over what we've, if what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is the authority and the d- divinity of Jesus, this authority of Jesus uh, coming out in the words of, with the, the Pharisees, if that's what we've seen over the last weeks, his godness, if you will, his divinity, today what we get to see is his humanity mixed with his divinity. We get to see this coming together in the way that he works this out in, in real human ways. The fact that he's with us and that he's near us and that he, he, he has, I hope this doesn't scare people, he has emotions like us. We see that mixed together with the truth that he's also still God. I think we often have a hard time, if you're anything like me, you have a hard time seeing those things coming together. That he's God, yes, he's God, and also he's human. Because here's the way our minds work. If he's God, then he's God. He's going to work it out like he's God. He's going to be God, and he's going to be authoritative, and this is who he's going to be. But if he's also human, how does that work out? If he's human, then 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 really, if he's like me, he's powerless to do anything, just like me, right? He's like me, and, and, and so he's powerless in a lot of ways. But if he's God, then I think the question comes to our minds often. If, if he's God, then why doesn't he do the things that I think a God ought to be doing? And we begin to think things like this, and we can't reconcile these strange differences in our minds, and it can cause often frustration as we read through the text, to read through the Bible. It can cause frustration as we experience it in our own lives. It can cause at times anger, and I think, I think the, the thing that it often causes for us, if you're like me in this, can cause confusion that then leads to doubt. We can't reconcile this, these conflicting things where we see, yes, he's God, but he's also human. And how does that work out? And it leads us to a place of deep doubt, doubt that he's, that he's both. How's that work? Or, or that he's either one, right? It just leads us to doubt. And so this morning, what I want to do more than anything else, very simply is I want us to see Jesus. 
I want us to see Jesus for who he is. I want our deep-rooted faith to be growing in Jesus. And I think what a, what a better place to see that than this memorable, well-known narrative, this story passage that highlights the attributes of Jesus and his humanity and his divinity, his godness. This morning, uh, it's a long passage, 44 verses. We'll get through it, I promise. We'll get through it. We'll look briefly. at just. We'll simplify it. We have to. We, we'll simplify it. Four attributes of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What are the four things that we can see about who Jesus is? And so my hope is that as we look at who Jesus is, that our affections for him will be growing. That, that, that even in our doubts and even in our anger and frustration, that our affections would be growing for him because we see these attributes coming out and shining. So first, what I, I want us to see, the first attribute I think we see is this, that Jesus is loving We see this in the first 16 verses. If you would, look at chapter 11, verse 1. We'll read a chunk. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. That's Bethany. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord... If he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Here's what I think we see. We see a lot of things, but I'll, I'll narrow it down here. Jesus is loving. Jesus is loving. We see it overtly in a number of ways, but often because of the circumstances around this text and the circumstances we experience, uh, like what we see here, we struggle to see that Jesus is loving. We, we see the words overtly, but we struggle to see that he actually is loving. So here's how the chapter begins. It, it begins by telling us that Lazarus is ill and Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha and Jesus or John. The author gives us this detail uh, of something that's going to come in chapter 12. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. That Mary is the same woman who we'll see here in in a bit that anoints Jesus' feet. So Lazarus is Mary and Martha's brother. And these two sisters reach out, uh, because they're concerned, they reach out to Jesus and they let him know, look at verse 3, Lord, he whom you love is ill. There's that word, love. He whom you love is ill. We know you love Lazarus and he's not well. 
And this isn't just information from the sisters to Jesus. This isn't just, hey, let, let, let me give you some information about his diagnosis. This is them saying he's ill and we desperately need your help. They're calling out to him for help. And Jesus responds to their request in verse 4 in a way that, that doesn't feel loving. To me, at least. And maybe you read it and you think it does, but it do- doesn't feel loving to me. He says to them in, in, in this response, he says, The illness your brother has does not lead to death. Rather, the illness he has is an occasion for the glory of God to be revealed. It's an opportunity for the Son of God to receive glory. And we would say to that, how is that loving? How is that loving to respond to a person who's grieving over the illness of their brother to say, uh, uh, to God be the glory. Now, I've been a pastor long enough. I've been a pastor in ministry for 20 years, and I've got a really thick head, and I can't get a lot of things through it. But one thing that I've learned or am learning is that when someone approaches you about an illness they've had that's leading to death probably, it's unloving to say, to God be the glory. Although we know that, we believe it, we agree with that. It feels very unloving in, in the moment. Can I just, if you're a note taker, write this down. Coming from you, that's not helpful. But coming from Jesus, the very one who's able to redirect this and change this, it is loving. It's loving for him to point their attention to the glory of God. We know that Jesus loves them because John tells us again in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved them. And it's precisely because he loved them that John inserts maybe one of the most shocking verses in all of the Bible. Verse 6. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed put for two more days. That, that's shocking, right? The very one who they're coming to for help. It, it says, when Jesus heard of this, he decided to stick around for two more days. There was no rush. We have a hard time comprehending that, don't we? But it's because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus that he allowed them to, to face the sorrow of sickness and death so that they could witness the glory of God and the power of his son. We may not comprehend that, but it's, it's true. So let me just bring this into a reality for us in a way that may hit each of us, even some of us right now, what we're going through right now. Jesus doesn't always answer our prayers as we would expect. I should get a hearty amen, right? Jesus doesn't always answer our prayers in the ways that we would expect, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It means that in that moment, we cannot understand how this could be loving, but it is. It means that we may not comprehend how it, how it is loving, but it is because we know that he is loving. And so let me ask of you all, what are you facing right now? What is it that you're walking through in life, no matter how small someone else may think it is, what are you facing right now that's excruciatingly painful, that's hard to sort out? What, What in life right now are you pleading with Jesus to change, to heal, to restore, to renew? What is it that you are pleading If that prayer is not being answered immediately, or if that prayer is not being answered in your time, would you hear this? Because I've been there, I am there. If your prayer is not being answered in the way that you would like it to, in the time frame that you have set up, hear this. It's not that Jesus doesn't love you. 
It's precisely that he loves you, that he's giving you opportunity to see something greater in the days to come. Now, we may not get that. They may not sink in. This is what Paul was getting at in the last verses of 2 Corinthians 4 when he says that this light and momentary affliction that we're facing is preparing for us an eternal reality beyond anything we can imagine we could experience now because what we're asking for now and what we would comprehend now is transient. It's fading away. We, We don't get it. But the unseen thing that Jesus is doing in your life is eternal because he's loving. Jesus is loving. We hear that this morning. We need to hear it. And so the story continues. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to Judea. His disciples say, are, are you crazy? That's where they were trying to kill you. You want to go back? And Jesus says, hey, listen, the, the plan that God has for me, the, the Pharisees cannot stop. And they, the, the disciples also don't know that, that Lazarus has died because from what Jesus has told them, they're, they're thinking, well, Lazarus is just taking a nap. He's resting. And Jesus, out of love, says to his disciples in that moment, I know all things and I know that Lazarus has already died and for your sake I'm glad. This is shocking to me. Is this shocking to you? Uh, For your sake I'm glad that I was not able to intervene because from this entire situation, what comes from it? Your belief. I'm glad I wasn't there to intervene. I'll summarize that. Jesus knows the situation. He doesn't respond immediately to the situation. And it's because he's loving that he allows this family to face this sorrow, knowing that something better is coming. It's also loving that he didn't intervene so that the the disciples' faith would increase. So whatever it is that you're facing right now, Christian friend, Whatever it is that you're facing right now has been placed there by an all-knowing, all-loving Jesus so that you would experience the greatness and the glory of Jesus and so that your faith would increase. What is it that you're facing right now that if you're able to step back a little bit and not plead with God that it would be removed, but just say, hey, what is it? Although a pleading to, to, to be removed is also okay. What is it right now that you're facing that Jesus may be using in your life to point you to Him, not yourself. He is loving. Would you consider that this morning? He's loving. The story continues and, and we're faced with yet another truth, another, uh, another quality of who Jesus is, and that's this, that Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. Look at verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Here's, here's what's going on. Jesus waits two days, which is shocking to me. He waits two days and then probably had a, a what was probably a two-day journey from where he was um, to get to them to the tomb. And when he arrives, Lazarus has, has been dead for four days. So there's this four-day gap that, that's happened. And many of the Jews had already gathered around. The sisters had come from Jerusalem to gather around to comfort them in their loss. And Martha hears of Jesus coming and she goes out to meet him and she says what any of us would have said, probably in our frustration and our doubt. She says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds so familiar to our own questioning, right? Lord, if you would have done something differently, this wouldn't have worked out this way. Who said that before in prayers? We all have. It sounds so similar to our own questioning. It's just a a lack of trust in the plans and the goodness of of God. If only you would have done it the way I think you should have done it, then we wouldn't be in this situation. What are we saying? Clearly, I know better here. We wouldn't say it that way, but our actions and our thoughts and the way that we hold ourselves is communicating that. But, But Martha also expresses a bit of hope. She knows that Jesus is... Uh, her her hope she says i know that whatever you ask god will do so there's a glimmer of hope there she trusts in the work of jesus and and is being one with the father she's frustrating by his timing certainly but but she trusts his power and jesus responds listen your brother will rise uh, again and from that martha says yeah i get it i understand like i've been raised in, in this home i understand theology here i understand that at the resurrection of the dead on the last day he's going to rise yeah, I, I get it but that doesn't help me now and if, if you'd been here this wouldn't have worked out this way and jesus says your categories for thinking are too small there's hope and it's more than just the final hope at the resurrection of the dead i am the resurrection and the life presently it goes on into the future everything that that goes along with the restoration of resurrection and and, and life are bound up with jesus embodied in who he is he says i am the resurrection everything that that i'm saying is all embodied here and jesus says to the grieving sisters i am hope And everyone who lives and believes in me right now, this isn't just a resurrection on the last day. Right now, whoever lives and believes in me will never die, will have eternal life. And he says to Martha, he asks this question that we need to hear as well. Do you believe that? Let me just turn that to us. Do you believe today that there's life in Jesus right now? Life that that extends into eternity you believe that or are you just coasting this out knowing that one day after death things are going to get better if i can just ride this out then maybe it'll it'll get better i know it will i'll just ride this out jesus is our hope sure into the future that's true but he's also our hope right now because his presence is with us now Remember chapter 10, verse 10 of John, Jesus says that he came, or Jesus says that he came to give life and life abundantly. This is present, right? He is our hope into the future. Sure. But also right now, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you grab onto that? Does it change your Monday morning? Would others look at you and say, that person has hope. There's something about that person. It's hopeful. Right? They, they can walk through all kinds of things. They have this deep, deep belief in something. They, they say it's Jesus. Is that where to, do people look at you and they, they won't t- stop talking about Jesus and the hope that they have. 
Let's, let's bring this into reality. Right now, right, right where we are. So tired of hearing about it, but this is where we are. Even in the midst of a place where these are our two presidential candidates, they have hope. They have hope in something greater. Even in the midst of pandemic, right? There's hope in something greater. They're not just focused about what's going on right here. Jesus is our hope today, even in, what is it for you, marital strife? Job loss, financial struggle, sinful tendencies that you've just plagued you, identity issues, life today with Jesus brings hope today because he's present. Jesus is our hope. He's loving. He is our hope. And Jesus being fully human is also sympathetic. Look at verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary. When Martha said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loves him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Upon Martha's request, Mary runs out to where Jesus is outside of the village and the Jews were, who were there with her, comforting her around her, mourning with her. They follow her out. That was custom to, to follow her wherever she went and mourning with her. They're thinking she's going to the tomb. But when Mary gets to where Jesus is in her grieving, she says the very same thing that her sister Martha had said. They're experiencing the same kind of frustration. Lord, if if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. This time, however, Jesus' response is, is different. We're told that when Jesus saw her weeping, and when Jesus saw the others weeping, and when Jesus saw that this crowd and these people and this family were weeping, what's it say? He was deeply moved. He was greatly troubled. The word that's used there is actually a word for anger. He was angered. He was deeply moved and he was angered. And he asks them, where have you laid him? And we're told in verse 35, two words in our English translation that I don't want us to overlook and joke about, hey, I memorized a verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That's the running joke of Christian circles, right? I memorized it. Can we Stop. Two words. Let him hit. Jesus, the Son of God, wept. cried tears of grief the jews take that to indicate oh look how much he loved lazarus and that's true don't overlook that 
Absolutely true. It's already been said that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And while Jesus grieves with these sisters and he grieves with the Jews who are mourning the loss of their dear friend Lazarus. Hear this well. To see Jesus' tears of grief over his dead friend only is to overlook something so much more powerful. To see Jesus only grieving tears over his dead friend. What's, what's that say? It says, oh, he's powerless to do anything, or he, he didn't know this was going to happen, or... But, but to see that and, and just to, gree- to see his tears over his dead friend is to overlook something so much more powerful. It's true that Jesus is sympathetic. We have a great comfort uh, uh, for us to know that Jesus is sympathetic. Rest in that today. If you're, if you're struggling through something and Jesus has been your comfort, rest in that. He is. He's absolutely sympathetic to your, your grieving and your loss and your weaknesses. He is our comfort in our time of need. Don't miss it. Jesus, God's Son, perfect in every way, sympathizes with us, which is why the author of Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 15 says that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses uh, one who in every respect has been, has been tempted like we are yet without sin so, so rest in that but to see jesus is deeply moved greatly troubled angered and weeping because he's lost a good friend only is to miss a greater picture and that's this Jesus is moved and he's angered and he's weeping over the fact that sickness, sin, and death have deeply impacted his friends and deeply impacted humanity. That's a grief that that we can't fully comprehend, but Jesus can. The, The fallenness of humanity and all of its implications deeply grieve Jesus and it's because of that that he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses yet without sin because he's sinless that his life and his death open up access to approach the throne of grace and confidence Jesus is sympathetic in that kind of way grieving sin and its effects but grieving not just as an emotion grief with action Grieving not just as an emotion, but grief in action that then covers sin and its consequences on the cross. His grief moves him to action. It's sympathy that moves him, and not just to be emotional, but to open up a way for us to be near God. In his grief, in his tears, he responds. Yes, Jesus is loving. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is sympathetic. And we'll finish it out here with this. Jesus is victorious. He's victorious. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, his sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. That's a great prayer, isn't it? (laughs) Father, I know that you hear me. And by the way, I just said that. I know that you know that, but I said it for the people around. When he said these things, he cried. By the way, Jesus is the only one who can pray that, right? Father, I already knew that you know this. All right. Um, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died 
came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus is victorious over sin and its consequences, ultimately over death. And Jesus point, or, or John's point, the author's point over and over and over here is what? Lazarus is dead. And he makes that point multiple times. This wasn't an illusion, right? This wasn't some Joe Bluth illusion. If you get the reference, you get the reference. It, this was something that was a, a reality. Lazarus was dead. We see it over and over. Verse 39, Martha, the sister of the dead man. How would you like that to be your name, right? Martha, the sister of the dead man. He's been dead four days, we're told. Over and over. Death, death, death. Finality. It's over. And Jesus reminds Martha, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God played out here. So Jesus lifts his eyes in prayer and he says, he says, I know you've heard me, God, but I'm saying this for the people in earshot that they would believe. And then we're told that Jesus cries out with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. Here's what I want us to see. Jesus speaks. And a dead man obeys. Jesus speaks and coming back into life at the command of Jesus is Lazarus. Listen, friends, no one, nothing can, can do that. Only Jesus can. Jesus is the only one who's victorious over sin and death. We have a Jesus who is loving, who's hope-giving, who's sympathetic, and a Jesus who is victorious. He speaks and even death itself is reversed. He's the resurrection and the life. The resurrection of Lazarus is, is just a picture of what's to come. It's a preface of or an introduction to what would come. There's another time that Jesus cries out with a loud voice. Do you remember this? That from the cross, he says what? It is finished. And death itself is reversed in his resurrection. He's victorious. The battle's been won. Friends, can we settle in here there and rest in such a way that leads us to worship that Jesus is loving and he shows his love toward us. He is our hope, and He's hoping in this life and also in the one to come. He's sympathetic, yes, He's caring for us in our grief, but caring for us way beyond that in His grief over sin and its consequences in a, fa- in a way that, that leads Him to action. And all of that points to the fact that Jesus is absolutely victorious. A powerful word reverses death for Lazarus, and a powerful word and a sacrifice it reverses death through the rec- resurrection for us. Jesus stands as victorious do we believe that this morning the question he asked the sisters do you believe do you believe that this morning if so it leads us to worship so that's where we'll end our time this morning in response in worship i want to pray for us this morning and then we'll continue to sing let's pray father my prayer this morning for each one of us maybe my own heart i need to start there is that I would believe that you, God, have a plan. And while I may not agree with how all of that works out, you are still a a loving God. Jesus, you're still loving. And, And in you alone is there hope. And I know that you're sympathetic. You sympathize with us in our weakness because you've been tempted. But Jesus, your sympathy goes beyond just a a comfort to us. Your sympathy goes into action where you gave your life. And you didn't just give your life in in a way that, that you died and that was it. You gave your life and then you conquered sin and death and the resurrection. You are victorious, Jesus. 
Would all of those things cause us then to look at You, Jesus, and say, yes, You are worthy of all blessing and honor and fame. You're worthy. Help us to believe that. Where we don't believe that, where we are having a hard time believing, Jesus, that You are those things this morning because of the circumstances we're walking through, would You help us to believe? Where we're holding on tightly to sin and, and, and different things in our lives that we don't want to let go of, would You help us to believe that that you are worthy of worship. You came to pay the penalty of the sin, the sin that we're still hanging on to. God, if there are those in the room who do not yet believe, Jesus, that you are Savior, would you be at work softening? Spirit, would you be at work doing that? Drawing men and women, boys and girls to yourself, that we would follow you and worship you. Do that, we pray. Amen.